0: So, what's Trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio. Welcome to our weekly happy hour. Today on Trending, joining me in just a moment will be Father Tim Grumbach, He is a chaplain at Bishop Alamini High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles. We're going to unpack today during this weekly happy hour one of my favorite topics to discuss, and that is in this season of Pentecost, right after Pentecost Sunday, which we just celebrated yesterday, closing, putting the cap on the Easter season, we think we ponder the gifts, the fruits of the Holy Spirit, the reality of God working in our lives. And so over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to unpack a series walking through the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit. You could probably name a couple of them, such as joy and peace that we'll talk about today. You might know of hope. You might have heard of chastity. All of these 12 fruits we're going to unpack in the coming days to get to the theology of them, but get to understanding how our Lord Jesus Christ, through the sending of the Holy Spirit, can truly continue to work and grow and do incredible things in our lives. I always find it fascinating that there's such a culture around spirituality and Hinduism and Buddhism and manifesting things. Why do we need any of that? We have our Lord Jesus Christ, and he sent to us the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, who literally has the most incredible gifts and fruits to give us? If only we knew, if only we prayed for them, if only we were predisposed and preparing ourselves to live out the life of God in all our lives. So we're going to talk about two of the 12 fruits in our two-week part series. Today we'll talk about joy and peace with Father Tim Grumbach. We'll also talk about confession. Yes, confession can make you happy. And we'll also talk about the future of abortion with the imminent overturning of Roe versus Wade in the Supreme Court making its decision on the Dawes versus Jackson women's health case. As there's a new trend circulating, especially targeting young women today, it's called the late period pill and it's a 10 It's an attempt to provide a very early abortion for women, and it's something that's given in other countries. Abortion is outlawed. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a little bit. You're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. Father Tim Grumbach is joining me. He is the pastor, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles. He serves with many uh, non for profit organizations and ministries within the church, from Net Ministry, Life Teen, Young Catholic Professionals, and a number of others. And he's here with us today to talk about the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, specifically the fruits of joy and peace, and how we can unpack these in our lives. Father Tim, it's so exciting to be in this season of Pentecost. Welcome back to Trending.
1: It's always good to be back on Trending, and uh, I was just kind of laughing about how uh, last time I joined you, I was in Minnesota with Annette Ministries for their wrap-up week, and uh, we were in the same time zone uh today i just got into georgia so i'm I'm at the life teens summer camp they've got like 200 screaming teenagers, the next building over. And uh, I think tonight we'll be jumping into a mud pit for an obstacle course or something like that, they tell me. So uh, I'm I'm in a happy place. So this is a good place for happy hour.
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's a good topic for today. I love uh, this time of year because we forget often, I think, Father Tim, about the third person of the Trinity, and that is the Holy Spirit, often depicted as a dove, uh, which can be confusing and misleading, not helpful for some people. Um, But the reality is is that we have God the Father. We have God the Son. A little bit easier for us to grasp, but God the Holy Spirit can be difficult. We know our Lord Jesus Christ fathered Him. A promise that He would send us the Advocate. And in Acts chapter one, before His ascension, our Lord Jesus Christ says, "You shall be baptized by the Holy Spirit." And He says, "You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses." And he says to the end of the earth, and this is made possible through the Holy Spirit. We talk about evangelization. We talk about living a life of God or following in Christ's footsteps. God isn't asking us to do this alone. And the hint is, and I think most of us miss this, Father Tim, is that he's literally sending us the third person of the Trinity to animate our lives, to function within us to bring about the kingdom of God, to do the good that we do. And for most of us, I don't really think we think about that other than perhaps one day out of the whole year.
1: Yeah, and I love the way that we get both uh, experiences of the Holy Spirit in the in the readings for Mass on Pentecost. Was that you know the first reading was the Acts of the Apostles, where the Spirit comes down as a, a like a sound of a mighty rushing wind, uh, but the Gospel reading is actually the night of the Resurrection, when Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit into the Apostles. And some people, some scholars, will try to say it was just the same moment but told in two different ways but the church has always understood that the apostles received the holy spirit in two different ways is first on the night of the resurrection so that they could have healing among their own community that had run away from the cross and then only after 50 days of reconciliation what we would call the sacrament of reconciliation now were they ready to be sent out to the rest of the world to bring that reconciliation to the nations and so the holy spirit fell on them more than once Uh, but it was that definitive moment at pentecost that we're remembering and in both cases they talk about the holy spirit as a gift given by god to his people for the sake of reconciliation you know we say these words in the words of absolution for confession is you know he sent the holy spirit for the forgiveness of sins and i I would love to unpack that word gift that uh, you know we're looking at the fruits of the holy spirit uh, but that's because the Holy Spirit first is a gift that is given to us. And the fruits are, are, are what result from receiving that gift with an open heart and giving that space to God so that he might fill it. And one of the things that I love that St. Thomas Aquinas does is he, he refers to the proper name of the Holy Spirit as first gift. In that the first gift that we give to anybody is our love for them, that we will their good as the other. And, and any gift we give to them is because first we've loved them. And because the Holy Spirit is the love between the Father and the Son, then the Holy Spirit is that first gift of love that he gives to us. And so I love that, that the proper name of the Holy Spirit is first gift. And then all of the fruits that we're about to unpack come from the reality that we receive a gift from God. How do we receive it and what do we do with it?
0: Mm. Uh, let's talk a little bit about What gets in the way of living a life in the Holy Spirit? There is a very small, short little book I read some years ago. Fabulous, really short. You could almost say easy read, but not really because it penetrates so deeply. It will make you pray. It's called In the School of the Holy Spirit by Father Mm, Jacques Philippe. Have you read it?
1: Oh, yes. I, it's it's one of my favorites. I, I accidentally left it out of my backpack when I came traveling today, and so I'm a little bummed I don't have it with me, but that book means a lot to me, yeah.
0: I can screenshot it for you. Don't worry. I love to read it this time of the year, uh, but one of the things that Father Philippe talks about is what gets in the way of the Holy Spirit, what's getting, what gets in the way of us living out these gifts and fruits that the Holy Spirit is offering us, that he, that is who he is. And Father Philippe says it's attachment to our own wisdom and how we may be uh, seriously, this may be a seriously bad obstacle, he says, in the way of docility to the Holy Spirit. How do we make a shift If our own wisdom, our own reasonability is in part what's getting in the way of the Holy Spirit working in our lives.
1: Yeah, there's a little section. It's just a couple of pages long in that book where he talks about obedience is a way to make that shift. And he recognizes, yes, we we must be obedient to the people that God has legitimately put into our lives. Because if we can't be obedient to our superiors who have a legitimate authority over us, how can we dream of being obedient to the Holy Spirit? and then even inviting us to be obedient to the most difficult moments in our lives as something at the very least permitted by God, not in this kind of fatalistic passivity where it's like, well, I guess that happened, there's nothing I can do about it, right? We must fight injustice, but we also receive, even in the midst of our best attempt at at faithfulness, we receive these sufferings as a part of God's at least permissive will And he says in very strong words, but, you know, gentle and challenging, encouraging words, that uh, a lack of obedience is the greatest obstacle to our sainthood. And uh, I'm actually thinking about another beautiful little book uh, coming from a different kind of tradition. Um, It's called Heinz Feet on High Places. I finally finished reading it. I have been recommended it. Uh, uh, The author is Hannah Hunnard, And it's complete allegory. And so the characters all have funny names, like much afraid is the main character and her family's trying to marry her off to Craven fear. And she goes on this journey led by the chief shepherd who's obviously Jesus. And Jesus gives, you know, the chief shepherd gives to her two companions for her difficult journey to the high places. Uh, He gives her suffering and sorrow. And, you know, she's so afraid of these new companions that she starts talking to pride. And pride convinces her that Mm. these gifts, these uh, companions are not the right ones, even though the chief shepherd said, do you trust me that the ones that I give you are the ones that will draw you to the highest places? And she's like, because she's talked to pride, she starts thinking, I should have joy and peace. They should be my only companions on this journey. And, you know, a little spoiler alert, by the end of the story, sorrow and suffering become joy and peace. And it's so deep, the way that that story told. And so that's I, it's so perfect. I just finished reading that book. And then uh, here we are talking about these two uh, fruits of the Holy Spirit of joy and peace and their relationship to sorrow and suffering in the Christian life.
0: Hmm. and this is a reality i think something you just said in sharing that story uh, is that if we allow ourselves to be bombarded by the noise and the images internally and externally it will be very hard to hear or even follow the promptings of the holy spirit and those good fruits that he has to offer and enact in our lives so with that father tim let's unpack these first two fruits of the Holy spirit in our series on the Holy spirit walking through the 12 gifts. I hope by the end you can memorize what all 12 of them are, but today we'll give you two. That is joy and peace. Father Tim, uh, joy and man it's one of those i think topics that people often misunderstand they think that joy and happiness are interchangeable Uh, but the reality is is that the good news is is that joy is actually free of the fleeting emotion of happiness happiness is fleeting it's transitory just like giddiness You could be giddy one moment sorrowful the next joy is abiding it's really living this grace-filled life which is why it's a fruit of the holy spirit and We'll continue to unpack it, but I think also it's living with a providential outlook on life, understanding God's providence, God's timing, God's gifts, God's yes, God's no, and and entrusting yourself to that in letting go of the fear, but that requires that we first love him. And that's why when Thomas Aquinas explains these 12 fruits, he actually talk, talks about charity, that is love first, claiming that joy essentially stems from charity, that we rejoice when we have that which we love, that which is God.
1: Right. And it's not just loving God as if that's some small thing, right? As if there needs to be more, but it's being loved by God. He refers to Romans 5.5, 5, how the, the love of God is poured into our hearts uh, by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. And, and he says it's a necessary result uh, that love leads to joy because, and I, I love this, that the, every lover rejoices at being united to the beloved. And so when we receive charity, that is the Holy Spirit itself, joy comes with that. And and again, going back to Heinz Feet on High Places and sorrow and suffering being transformed into joy and peace, is that it's so much deeper than our emotions. And this is something I've been wrestling with in prayer the last uh, week or so, is this idea that letting ourselves love, be, being loved by God is difficult, because sometimes we convince ourselves that, you know, I'm only being loved by God when I feel it like when I Mm -hmm. when I wreck my heart up so that I like oh I feel you loving me God when being loved by God is so much more than feeling loved by God and so joy comes from that deeper place that you know involves emotions sometimes sometimes emotions are on the surface of joy but joy is such a deeper experience that even in the midst of suffering and sorrow when we are loving in that place that the necessary result of that love of charity is joy, Thomas Aquinas says. And I'm so glad that you brought that up. That's, That's quickly becoming one of my favorite moments in his writings, is that, that idea that joy comes from charity and then peace comes from joy. And so let's let's look into that a little bit.
0: Yes, mm, but before we do, I can't help but Father Tim keep thinking of the Eucharist. When I think mm. of this connection between charity and joy, it's interesting because I was reading the uh, Catechism from the Council of Trent and I kept looking up the word to joy. And it's so funny because the only places where it talked about joy was in relation to the Eucharist. Eucharist. And when I was reading Thomas Aquinas, understanding that, well, joy comes from charity. Well, the greatest Love of God we could have is really in many ways here on earth for Eucharistic. That's Eucharistic joy. If you want to grow in joy, receive and delight in our Lord Jesus Christ, truly present body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist. Resting and delighting in God, our soul's desire. And I think that that's where the tie-in to peace kind of comes as well, Father Tim, because as you mentioned, Mm -hmm. peace, that second um, that we'll discuss today, that second fruit of the Holy Spirit flows from joy. You need as St. Thomas Aquinas says, I think you just mentioned it, the perfection of joy is peace. And he breaks down two different types of peace that occur and are necessary for this joy. He says essentially the external things aren't disturbing you from your enjoyment in God. So that's one way that peace is helpful. And the other, so basically that means there are no stumbling blocks getting in the way. You're at peace. So you're able to rejoice. Uh, And then the second is your desire rest on that one object that is God. So your desire for other, for other things aren't there. You're just focused on God. And so that peace is possible in joy, allowing joy to occur.
1: Yeah. And especially as we pray with that gospel for Pentecost, where Jesus arrives in the upper room, still bearing the wounds of the cross, but in a glorified way after the resurrection, and the first words he says to them are not like, Where were you? Why did you abandon me? No, it's, and it's, it's, it's not even, you know, hail, like the angel to Mary at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, but rather it's, it would be shalom, that peace, which is deeper than simply the absence of strife. And so that would be the first kind of peace that Thomas refers to, is that one is not disturbed in the enjoyment of the beloved good. And so it's you know peace. Peace is that, but it's more than simply uh, avoiding strife. It means you you actually get to enjoy and be and love and be loved by uh, that which your desire rests. So it's it's more than just an absence of war, peace, but rather peace is this fullness and this abundance of the joy that flows out of charity, which we experience most clearly in the Eucharist. And so I, I love the way that. You know, he has set this question up of you know, whether or not the, the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit uh, are properly enumerated, he, he asks the question. If, they, uh, if, if 12 is a proper and fitting number, and it's, it's Thomas's beautiful way of writing where he can show how each one flows out of the other, and that indeed, <laughs> 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, uh, that's the way that God meant for it to be, and that's the way that we've received it
0: is I look kind of transitioning Father Tim into peace because as you said, they all flow one from the other. Reading that the perfection of joy is peace, it really makes you stop and wonder, well, what is peace? I think we live in a culture that... Is seemingly very disgruntled and lacking in peace and from our uneasiness with with silence our constant need to be berated by noise and advertisements some not always by choice but just what we're used to and just go to the grocery store to the airport you see that people are uncomfortable with eye contact and they're quickly reaching for their phone as soon as they can I mean I've been guilty of this and I have to intentionally leave my cell phone in the car while I go grocery shopping. So I don't find myself at the checkout picking up my phone because I can't handle 10 seconds of just awkwardness. Or, And it's not awkwardness that we perceive things as that. And so I want to unpack a little bit more of what St. Thomas Aquinas says when it comes to peace and helping us to understand how peace is a disposition of the mind that's good and that we all need.
1: Yeah, you're so right about looking out at our culture and in our, into our own hearts of the way that we, not only do we not have peace, but we find ways to uh, cover that up and to distract ourselves. I mean, I was just at you know an LAX last night and I would sit down at a table waiting for my flight and You know, there's a couple sitting at the table next to me now, you know, not to judge their hearts or anything like that, but they were literally both looking at their phones the whole time they were sitting there. Like, I don't think they made eye contact until it was time for them to get up and go to their flight. (laughs) It's like they were clearly together. And and so just kind of, you know, (laughs) I I was just sitting there, like just sitting at the table, like when I go places like that, I I do my best purposely not to pull my phone out. You know, and you know, it, it, you know, kind of people watch a little bit, but just kind of try to sit there in peace without the distractions that everyone else is taking on. Yeah. And so I think uh, you know, there's a severe lack of peace, not just when we look at uh, you know war in the world right now, but uh, in our own hearts and the ways that we're just we're we are in a place of just. A tremendous opportunity for encounter and evangelization at the airport and on planes. And, uh, you know, I, as soon, whenever I walk into the plane, I kind of uh, make a little sign of the cross, a little blessing on the outside of the plane. Um, you know, kind of a little bit like keep us safe, but also just like making that bold prayer of like, if there's someone that wants to talk about you, Jesus, like point me in their direction, but I'm finding less and less because of the distractions people have uh, less and less people want to talk at airports and you know I'm not entirely against that I kind of like having my space in a place like that <laughs> or on a plane I very rarely have anybody that wants to talk about religion and faith and the church and Jesus when I'm you know on the plane and I fly in my cassock and so I'm very clearly a priest walking around the airport but especially with the, the pandemic, I think fewer and fewer people yes. are wanting to interact with one another and we find our distractions and there is a lack of peace coming from that because I'm sure Thomas would say the same is that, you know, peace is not a thing that happens in isolation. You know, pe- again, peace is not an absence of war. Peace is not the absence of the presence of your enemies, true peace, the shalom that Jesus brings to his apostles the night he rises from the dead, means that you love your enemies, not that you have none.
0: (laughs) So... Mm -hmm. It's interesting you mentioned that. I know it's a bit of a side ta- tangent, but that piece that many people, I think, are struggling with. We ourselves are. I noticed that too. I used to always you know, make sure I wasn't on my phone too much. That I, you know, never walk around with headphones in. That I say hello to the people that get on the airplane with me. I would have the most incredible conversations, and most of them turned to God. I mean, I sat there one time reading the Bible side by side with someone and giving this woman mm-hmm. a Bible that I had no idea why I was inspired to buy a Bible. When I was at a Catholic bookshop, I'm like, Lord, I have a bunch of Bibles. I'm traveling cross-country. Why do I need this? And then lo and behold, here I am on the airplane with it. Uh, it was incredible. But I have noticed the same thing um, since COVID. And I also thought maybe it's because I'm traveling with a baby now, too, which could be both between the mask thing and the kid. You know, they might not be as interested in engaging, but it it's interesting to see that lack of comfort and peace people have in just engaging with others or that they think by not engaging with other people, they are more at peace or more comfortable. Uh, But let's unpack peace a little bit more because I think that, understanding when thomas aquinas says that peace is a good disposition of the mind uh, he mentions two things in the summa where he talks about it means not being disturbed when evil threatens so essentially that's related to patience you know when when evil is possibly imminent, um, that we're not disturbed by it. Um, we have peace. We're standing solid in God, but also he says we have this disposition of the mind by not being disturbed when good things are also delayed to us.
1: Yeah so that means that peace is still available to us in the midst of sorrow and suffering and strife. So again going back it you know peace is not just the absence of strife and the absence of war but it's something that can happen within us and within our communities even in the midst of sorrow and suffering even when evil is threatening that you know, the, the people i want to listen to most in the church and in the world are the people who seem to have a peacefulness about Everything that's happening around them, not not like oh that's just what's happening. I, I, there's nothing I can do about it. But it's a, a trust, and there's a, you know that, that palpable joy that you can tell that like you know the gospel means something to them, and they can look to Jesus on the crucifix and say that's what peace looks like, and they have that real encounter with it. And so that's what I, I hope to become, someone like that one day. That in, you know that a certain calmness and peacefulness in the midst of a war that's raging around us. And I think that's the kind of peace that Jesus is offering us because the world can't offer us that kind of peace.
0: That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Tim Ray And I kind of final thought on the fruit of peace. Peace requires trust. It helps us against anger, jealousy, fear, anxiety, and any number of things we might be struggling with. And so this is a kickoff of our series on the 12 fruits of the Holy Spirit, tomorrow charity and more. I'll be back with Father Tim Grumbach to dive into the sacrament of confession during our weekly happy hour today. We're
1: talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
0: Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. In a little bit, I'll share with you the really good news on the abortion front and a little glimpse as to what we will expect with the imminent overturning of Roe versus Wade leaving the decision of abortion back to the individual states. What will happen? We'll receive a little bit of a glimpse into that in a moment. And also, I'll share with you about a new type of abortion that is being promoted. It's not new, but newer to the United States. Uh it's a really early abortion. Many young women are having this advertised to them right now online. A lot of this are these are research studies that are being done here in the United States. It's called the early period pill. I'll explain it to you in just a little bit. But before we go there, it's our weekly happy hour today on Trending. And Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles is with me. He also works a lot with Life Team, which he's with currently, I believe, in Georgia. Uh, he works with with young Catholic professionals and a number of uh, youth organizations working to build up the future of the church. Father Tim, I want to talk about confession today during our weekly happy hour. I think there's a lot of trepidation and misunderstandings that many people have about the benefits of confession, but also what it is. And I think fear gets in the way for many people. So I'd like to first by discussing with you, when did you first start to appreciate the
1: i i think it was when i i heard a priest say this to me that the sacrament of confession is where we go to let the desire to be impressive go to die and you know i I think as kind of growing up a shy kid like that was how I, i built relationships was to try to be impressive in different things and to build up all these hobbies and and things that would get attention and to be impressive, and then to find out that in the Sacrament of Confession, like I don't have to try to impress the priest, I can't impress God. Um, I also can't be unimpressive to God in a certain sense, like he already knows my heart. And so the Sacrament of Confession becomes this place of ultimate freedom where I don't have to try to impress anybody, Uh, I can't be unimpressive, I just open up, let it go, and there's so much freedom in that honesty, and there's so much. It takes a lot of courage, but it takes a lot of humility as well. And you know, I, I can say, of my own confessions, <laughs> when I fell in love with the sacrament, was um, without going into too much detail, of course, um, bringing uh, you know my sins to a priest, and his response was, "Yeah, you see how your sins hide you hide you within yourself. Now your penance is going to draw you out in love and service." And it was as simple as praying for some other people that had nothing to do with the confession I just you know, admitted to, but it, it, it revealed so much about the heart of the sacrament is that our sins hide us within ourselves. Our, our penance draws us out in love to be a sacrifice for others. And that's, that's when I fell in love with the sacrament of confession, that realization. One, I don't have to be impressive. And two, sin hides me, but penance draws me out.
0: Mm. You know, it's interesting, Father Tim, because I think this ties directly into the second question of did you ever stop fearing or dreading confession? And I think to come back for a moment to the first question, when did you first start to appreciate confession, for me, that was when I started going Regularly, really regularly, every couple weeks, really every two weeks, sometimes once a week. And I think that in part that's what helped in dissipating that fear, that anxiety, trepidation, and dread of going to confession, was by going more regularly uh, in having that level of accountability, it helped me to be in a much better place in terms of the sins I was or was not committing, and this happened for me in particular in college. What about you? When did you perhaps, if ever, start to experience that fear dissipate with regard to confession?
1: I think I could say it was actually in the seminary, probably. (laughs) I know it's a a bit later. I I know a lot of men who enter the seminary because they've had such great experiences of confession. Um, But when it became a regular thing for me in in my years of seminary, then it became something where it's like I could feel the way that it was forming me, that it wasn't just a, a place to vent every week or every month or every how often it was but it was something that was holding me up, something that was forming me uh, for my vocation, right? It, it, that it, it was making me who God wanted me to be. And so I, I would say it was early on in seminary when uh, I, when the sacrament of confession became a regular thing for me. And I know that's later than some people, and uh, and you know there are some guys who, even in seminary, may not have that experience of the sacrament. Uh, but for me, so that's, same- that's about where it was. <laughs>
0: So, same thing for you. When you started going regularly, that's when the fear and the dread started to dissipate.
1: Right, right.
0: It's interesting because I remember as a kid, like, oh man, I gotta go to confession. And you wouldn't have even done something terrible, but it was just this dread that you were gonna go, you're gonna stand in line, you're going to go before the priest. In fact, that actually reminds me of one of the very first times I ever went to face to face confession. I wish I could have seen the horror on my face. I had no idea it was going to be face to face confession, and. I walked into the room, the door shut, and there is a priest sitting there in a chair, facing directly at me, with a chair right in front of him. I went, oh my gosh, how am I going to get out of this room right now? Uh, it didn't happen. I did it, made it through. Um, but let's talk a little bit about some of the advantages of confession, Father Tim. I was reading uh, my husband bought recently um, one of the hardbound uh, catechisms of the council of trent we often read from the current latest catechism coming from 1992 it was promulgated in 1992 but we have other catechisms that continue to uphold what the church has always taught and so sometimes it's fun to look at how the church articulated the same things years before and in the catechism of the catholic of the Catechism of the Council of Trent, Father Tim, there are three advantages that are referred to with regard to confession. The removal of the present malady is the first one. That is that the removal of that sin, that thing that you're struggling with, is the first thing that is advantageous to someone.
1: that it expands beyond that as well, is that, yes, the the sacrament of confession is to heal us in that moment. And I, I think that goes back, like I was saying, about how the sacrament of confession was given in John chapter 20, when Jesus comes to the apostles the night he rose from the dead, gives them the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins. You know, those words are right in the words of absolution for the sacrament of confession. Uh, and how the community needed that at that moment. They needed healing. Like, you know, Thomas wasn't even there that time, that night. <laughs> um, they, they needed healing. And so, you know, before anything else, Jesus knew that his apostles needed a healing and reconciliation amongst themselves because of the sins that they were committing and the fear that was on their hearts at that moment to strengthen them. Um, and only then would they be able to go out and uh, be sustained by the sacrament be sustained by that forgiveness so i, I like that that's the the first i, I also like to say you know we, we have this expectation of perfection that maybe we place on ourselves like jesus says be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect but if he expected that perfection of us right now would he have given us the sacrament which removes the present malady you know jesus knows better than we do what we're capable of and, and the fall that we're capable of so that he gives us the sacrament of confession to deal with the sins that we have right now.
0: The second advantage that the Catechism of the Council of Trent lists is uh, heavenly efficacy in preparing the soul against an easy relapse. That is, that we have divine intervention that is efficaciously, effectively preparing our soul against what's very common. That is, when we do something wrong, we may not want to do it again, but we tend to easily fall back into that same thing. Thing and so what we understand is that that grace from the sacrament, Father Tim, is actually helping us from falling back into that sin, uh, because that's the effectiveness of the sacrament. That's not just that okay, I've gone and said okay, sorry, Jesus, but His grace is working in us so that we don't pass again.
1: Yeah, I like the image, especially since I'm here at summer camp for this week of uh, high ropes of uh, the sacrament of confession can use, be, be used like a safety net sometimes. Uh, you know, God is not against using it as a safety net, teaching us how to fall and how to fall into his arms through the sacrament. I would say that's like the removal of the present malady, you know, to save us in that moment. Uh, But I also like to think of, you know, the rope system of the the belay, you know, whenever we put on our harness and we put on our ropes, we have to make sure that the belay is in place as well and that there's somebody at the bottom who's holding us up. And so part of the help we get while climbing is the belay, which is the rope that's that's holding us up and even lifting us up. And so we have, you know, you can imagine having a safety net below, but the sacrament of confession, God wants it to be more than a safety net, but something that holds us up. And that's one of the really important reasons to go regularly is so that we don't treat it merely as, oh, I've fallen, I need to be caught. Uh, But also, okay, I'm, I'm in a dangerous place of temptation. If I go to the sacrament of confession, that can be a healthy place that will hold me up, sustain me with the grace of the sacrament to protect me from falling further than I would otherwise.
0: The third advantage of confession, if you're just this, you're listening to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio, that's Father Tim Grumbach, the chaplain at Bishop Alamany High School in the Diocese of Los Angeles. That third advantage of confession, which I think Father Tim is so telling in the culture we're living in, has to do with the catechism, the Council of Trent, saying that it contributes to pow- powerfully to the preservation of social order. So when we go to confession, that helps in preserving Social order, crime against dysfunction, against gossip, against anger, against violence. At a time with everything that is happening in the world, that is going on, I know many people are looking around, saying, "Why is this happening? Why today? Why now?" And Father Tim, I can't help but think over and over this our back on God as a culture, and not just having turned our back on him, but refusing repentance, refusing the need we have for him. And even just reading some of the words of the Catechism of the Council of Trent on this topic, this third idea that the confession is that it social order, it actually says that it abolishes Through sacramental confession, that moment you will see this delusion society with all sorts of secret and heinous crimes, crimes too, and others, a still greater enormity, which men, once they have been, will not dread to commit in an open day. And that is something we are seeing today, Father Tim a lack of shame uh, in this outright uh, intentionality of criminal, horrible things done and done in the daylight.
1: Yeah, I I always like to acknowledge in the sacrament of confession that, you know, it's difficult to let these things come up in our hearts. It's difficult to say them out loud, you know, to a priest, whether you know him or you don't know him, you know, how much harder would it be if it was done, you know, in front of the community, you know, so it's kind of lightheartedly, a bit of a joke, that like, if we brought back public confession, we would sin a whole lot less because we definitely don't want everybody to know about our sins. And you know, that's not the most mature reason to not sin. You want to, you want to not sin because of love, not because of fear. Uh, but this idea that if we got rid of the sacramental confession altogether, you know, where would you know what shame would there be? Uh, healthy shame. Let's not say shame, but what kind of guilt that changes our heart rather than keeps it stuck? Would there be? And, you know, the, the question so often comes up, especially among my students, like, is there anything I'm allowed to tell anybody from what I hear in confession? I say, nope, absolutely nothing. And then they have all the questions like, well, what if someone says this or what if this situation is happening? And it's always, nope, nothing. You know, I, I, I try to, you know, if, if it's something that someone's going to be hurt or hurt somebody, I try my best to get them to bring it outside of the sacrament of confession. But I cannot break the seal. And the seal is there to protect the individual, but also to protect society. And there is a misguided attempt in some places to uh, require a breaking of the seal in certain cases, but the government has no authority to do that. Uh, And because the, the seal on the surface, can look like a negative thing for society. You mean you're just keeping secrets? But it's not keeping secrets. It's about protecting that intimate encounter with the Lord and his mercy. You know, that if somebody who's committed a murder uh, knew that I could go to the police, they would never come to me and I could never begin to have that conversation about what they need to do to restore justice, to receive mercy that God wants to give to them. So the sacrament of confession is not, is good, not just for the individual, but for the whole of society for those reasons.
0: That's Father Tim Grumbach here on Trending with Timree. I'll be right back to share with you the latest news, the good news on the abortion front. If and when Roe versus Wade was overturned and the issue of abortion returns to the states, I'll also share with you the latest trend targeting young women to have very early abortions, especially when abortion becomes illegal. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timmery on Relevant Radio
1: and the Relevant Radio app.
0: I have very good news, and that is a recent piece of legislation has passed through all bodies necessary the House, the Senate, and that is in the state of Louisiana that would prevent mail order abortions from continuing to happen in the state of Lu- Louisiana. This past week, the Louisiana Senate voted 31 to 1 major pro-life victory to prevent male order abortions from continuing to be happen in the state of Louisiana. Now, what would happen is that it would only allow so that a state licensed medical doctor, physician, would be able to receive and give these types of abortion. That is that would be R U 486 chemical abortion. No one else could deliver, dispense, or distribute it. This is a big deal because Basically, what we're seeing with these mail order abortions that have become very common over the last couple of years, especially with the abortion pill, RU486, being deregulated during COVID, President uh, Biden used COVID to deregulate abortion, and what he did with that is that he allowed, it's a kind of a long explanation, but he basically allowed it so that the regulations were decreased so that people could just have it shipped to them. There was no medical oversight. You didn't have to see or do a doctor in person or have a pregnancy test confirming that a woman is indeed pregnant. This is dangerous and highly unregulated. The abortion pill itself is already dangerous it's often already prescribed to women beyond when it should be. They'll, Planned Parenthood and the abortion movement will actually uh, fudge the dates of when a woman is due or how far along she is to try and push for a chemical abortion because it's much less expensive for them to push a chemical abortion than a surgical abortion. Now, the governor of Louisiana, Democrat Governor John Bell Edwards, has actually been known to sign into law a number of pro-life laws. And so there's a lot of hope in the direction of Louisiana that we will indeed see this become law. And here's the good news, because both Louisiana as well as back in March, South Dakota, where in South Dakota, Republican Governor Kristi Noem signed a bill banning telemedicine abortion in that state. Now, this is important because these laws that are banning abortion prior to viability, again, recognizing that's 22 weeks, aren't exactly allowed necessarily to go into effect. Now, Texas was different, and they respect the Texas abortion law banning abortion prior to viability has taken it has been taken into effect and has been saving countless lives since September of last year 2021 but South Dakota's law banning telemedicine abortions things such as these aren't necessarily allowed to go into effect because of the lack of ability to regulate abortion however the good news and this is what is such a Big deal when it comes to the overturning of Roe versus Wade in the imminent decision, any moment now to be handed down by the Supreme Court of the United States in, this, in the case of Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health. And here's the deal. When that decision is made, it is anticipated that it will overturn Roe v.ersus Wade and return the issue of abortion back to the states, meaning that if South Dakota, if Louisiana, if Ohio want to be abortion-free states, if they want to be states that highly, highly regulate and try to protect women against a so-called surgery and so-called procedure that is actually very Damaging for her emotionally, psychologically, and physically. Well, they can, but right now, because of Roe versus Wade and the Supreme Court case of Planned Parenthood versus Casey in 1992, we are not able to pass very many regulations on abortion prior to 22 weeks that is, prior to viability. Again, Texas was an exception. We've talked about that before, but all of this comes back. This conversation is all circling around the topic of mail order abortions and ru 46 abortions? Well, I wanna share with you a new trend. Now this is only being practiced in, I think about five states right now. I'll name some of those. Yeah, California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Oregon and Washington. You can access what is known as the late period pill. Now, this is a very early abortion. Now, let me tell you to be clear, the pro-abortion movement will try to tell you that this is not an abortion because it's an early abortion. And they try to claim that things such as Plan B, also known as the morning after pill, as well as contraception, that these things don't perform abortions. Because the American College of of Gynecologists and Obstetricians, they redefined for themselves when they say human life begins. And they claim it doesn't begin until implantation. That is when the baby implants in the uterus. But actually, hello, news track, we've known for hundreds of years that actually new human life begins when sperm and egg meet. And hello, that happens outside of the uterus in the fallopian tube. So they can do whatever they want for political gain, but they've used this for years to dupe women and the medical profession into trying to claim and believe that an early abortion isn't an abortion. That's just not true. It does end human life. Contraception can. Plan B can and does. And these are early abortions. Well, here's the deal. Women are being advertised to online. And in fact, One woman just wrote to me the other day, Tina, wrote to me saying that she is receiving advertisements on Facebook for the late period pill. Now, you can learn about this at periodpills.org if you want to see a little bit more, but it's essentially a very early abortion. The idea is, in part, that you just don't find out you're pregnant, and so you do something immediately and you can't be held culpable for having had an abortion. Now, why would that be relevant? Because this is actually used in other countries. The website itself says the late-period pill is used in other countries where abortion is illegal, such as Bangladesh, as well as other places such as Cuba, where, again, abortion is illegal so why would not this be a thing because the idea is is too, if you don't know you're pregnant you just push your period to happen early because that's what this pill does it tries to induce the your period and it uses some of the same chemicals the same drugs and the ru-486 abortion pill that is comprised of misoprostol and mifepristone. It actually uses misoprostol to cause that early abortion and lead to the onset of a woman's period, therefore causing that baby to die. So what's happening is we're seeing five states are kind of our first test states, California, Colorado, Massachusetts, Oregon, and Washington. In fact, ucsf the university of california san francisco is currently doing a study on the period pill because it is somewhat experimental especially bringing it to the united states of offering this pill offering free abortions for $50 cash cards to women who are interested. You can access it via telehealth in those five states. And the idea that the website tries to push for the late period pill is there's no documented pregnancy. It takes care of the fear of being pregnant, so you can just take it even if you don't know. Uh, It's helpful, they argue, for instances where abortion is illegal, and it reduces the stigma of abortion. So you don't have to think you had an abortion because one, it's early, and two, you just might not know. This is a reality. We know misoprostol, mifepristone making up RU46 abortion pill currently is very harmful for a woman's body. It can cause the onset of autoimmune disorders. It can cause so many health issues. We'll have to discuss this more another day. But the reality is, is that whatever they try to substitute, that is a pro-abortion movement, whatever they try to substitute for the current abortion norms in the United States will not help women will not help take away the so-called stigma of abortion. The stigma of abortion is there because abortion hurts women. It leaves a mother without a child, and it leaves a baby dead. And we need to take care of telling the truth about bad medical experimental things occurring on women, especially out of the University of California, San Francisco, and that women deserve better than abortion. And the good news, again, I stand by, South Dakota and Louisiana are fighting back another two states who are trying to make it so that abortion is not a norm in their states, that mail-order abortion does not occur, and that there needs to be a better medical oversight if and when abortion occurs. And that's good news as we work toward ending abortion in this country. This is Tim Murray from Trending with Tim Murray. Are you feeling a little bombarded by pride messages and we're only a week in? Why are these messages focused on targeting children in particular? What should we be teaching our children instead? How do you counter these cultural messages and parades and images? I'll unpack this on Tuesday. So join me at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.